American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club, hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. My name is Alex, joined by my co-host, James. Hola. As well as our favorite guest, Ryan Williams. Ryan, thanks for joining us on the show. Happy to be here. I didn't know I was with a, a native Spanish speaker today, but I'm glad someone's bringing the flair today have, to celebrate two wins out of two. Two out of two. I have about three or four Spanish words in my repertoire, so uh, don't count on much more. That one sounded kind of French, my guy. I have a few more, but I, I'm not going <laughs> to say them on the air. <clears throat> That's what I that's what I get for playing with a predominantly Hispanic soccer team for a while. So we are coming to you after a three nil win against Salford City in the Carabao Cup. Let's start off with instant reactions. Ryan, how about you go first? Uh, I think we just hit another post. No. Well, the first 75 minutes were a little bit pedestrian, in my opinion. I think the second half was better. I, I I mean, you can't argue that we didn't possess the ball okay. Um, we took care of it. I, I saw a little bit of disorganization for a couple couple periods of time on defense. We were overall too passive. I think that would be my biggest takeaway. But eventually we turned it on when it mattered, and we we're pretty unlucky not to win 4-5-0. or five nil. Fair enough. James, how about you? Yeah, I'd largely echo that. I mean, you look at the stats at a high, the high level stats and nothing, nothing advanced like Ryan will probably touch on it a little bit, but 70% possession, 32 shots at face value. You'd say we dominated the game, but I don't think that really accurately reflects how mediocre and, and uninspired we were for large stretches. And that's, I think what the, the result of the number of changes that Carlo Ancelotti made, which we'll, we'll move on to discuss shortly, but you make that many changes and it becomes a lot of players that we saw last season and a lot of the same issues that we saw last season immediately resurfaced a lot of passive possession in midfield. And uh, it's very apparent why we went out and did what we did in the market to replace that, that engine, as we talked about last episode, because night and day difference for me. Absolutely. I mean, as it always is with a cut match, especially in the earlier rounds, you kind of have a toss up as to how your coach is going to set up, right? Is, is your manager going to set up Full steam ahead, which a lot of Everton Twitter wanted, right? They wanted a starting 11. They said it's four, four days into the, into the season. Let's go at it and let's win the match. However, it looks like Don Carlo went with a different approach and essentially largely gave our quote unquote B team a run out on the pitch. So with that, we had players like Nkunku, Branthwaite, who went out injured, um, pretty early, unfortunately. We had a less than ideal midfield trio of Sigurdsson and Davies, right? But we did have some that we were all hoping to see, including Gordon and Moise Keane. You know, a little shout out to on Twitter from MVP at Philnati. There's a lot of dialogue in terms of making that many wholesale changes. And he was adamant. He's like, I bet we he make a bunch. going off. He was. And look, it's early enough in the season that these guys aren't 100% fit. So you've got to make some level of significant changes. 
I was maybe a little bit surprised we didn't dump someone into midfield maybe to last for 60 minutes, but Carlo was uh, confident. And I think we saw in some of the exhibition matches where those guys in there at least did possess the ball pretty well. And Alex, to your point earlier, maybe we didn't come out on the front foot, probably a little bit intentional, kind of wear them down. So you saw some of our midfielders playing maybe a little deeper than they normally did to, to focus on possession. So I mean, it drove me crazy sometimes. You just wanted to yell, turn, turn, take it forward. But um, the guys going in there at least build up some confidence in their ability to hold the ball. And you have to appreciate that considering how dreadful we were all of last year about it. Yeah, and there was nothing nothing super adventurous about the play early on. And as as the game wore on, I think, I think the, of course, Michael Keane scores a very early goal, which did us a lot of favors as far as uh, being able to keep Salford at, at arm's length for mo- most of the game, that possession becomes all the more important where we can just, again, move the ball around, rotate, make them run and hold on to the lead. But as it got closer and closer towards the end of the match and we hadn't quite got that second yet, you know, the pressure starts to ramp up because they didn't really threaten, you know, Joe Virginia comes in and really had virtually nothing to do for the entire match. But you never know in a cup match like cup tie like this, where one chance and it's tied with five minutes to go. And that's a scary situation to be in. Luckily it never really came to that, but by and large um, the midfield. Yeah. Uninspired, but they didn't make any gigantic glaring errors. And I think Michael Keane, you know, a, a nice header off of a set piece. And, and frankly, Michael Keane, I thought was very, very strong in the air today, which we know he usually is in the, at a Premier League level, so it's no surprise that he was able to do that against League Two opposition. Especially with the early injury to JB, too. You know what I mean? Um, Dean coming in there changes the dynamics a little bit. Um, so Keane was on an island sometimes when Luca went forward. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he was immense in the air. There, there were a couple moments. I mean, I, I got to say, Salford didn't really take the two or three chances they had that were legitimate. You know, they missed someone wide right. open at one point. I was pretty angry at that, uh, that kind of Luca didn't look like he was going to get over in time when someone got, got behind Niels and Keen went way the heck over and John Joe had two guys. I mean, had they crossed the ball or at least gotten their head up and managed to get the ball over, it was an absolute two on one easy. Um, I think they had a couple chances on second balls that kind of showed up on the 18 and they scuffed over the net, which was very helpful, but that was really about it. And I mean, you know, especially in the second half, they really had nothing. Absolutely fair play. And we know we set up very similar to how we did against Tottenham, which I think is a precursor to at least the near future uh, for the season. But I think because we had so much possession, specifically, I wanted to highlight the shape of the center backs and our wingers in this formation, because we saw Nkunku, who had a ton of freedom, and we really saw his athleticism um, and his forward thinking shine in this setup. And and it looked like he worked really well with Anthony Gordon on the left-hand side who was pushing forward, especially in the second half with some longer runs. But then we saw John Joe Kenny moving forward a ton also. Theo Walcott pinching in a little bit, although he didn't necessarily have the best game up on the right-hand side. You got that right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, of of both the the outside backs who came in, it's it's hard not to be very, very impressed with Niels and Cuckoo. A lot of shouts for man of the match for him today. I thought his, you know, coming in as a 19-year-old, low transfer fee or on a free even from Marseille. And he looks the real deal. His athleticism at the very least, his, his explosion with the ball at his feet, 
I mean, a couple of times he was, he was rinsing Salford city. They were giving him a ton of space when he was in the attacking third, because they were afraid of, of what he was able to do. John Joe Kenny on the other flank. Uh, I don't think he really showed much as far as if he wants to push and threaten Seamus Coleman for the starting place, but early days, and I think he can serve as suitable cover. I know, Ryan, you've talked about the need for a strong replacement right back. Do you think that Kenny showed enough today that you'd feel comfortable going into the rest of the year with him as a second option? Uh, I don't know. I, I just, I think there's some inherent things about him as a player that are tough to overcome. And I know he's young and obviously players are going to improve, but there were just times today where he, he did a solid enough job on defense, but I just was never confident that he was really going to lock him down that well. You know, he just doesn't have tremendous athleticism. Um, his decision-making sometimes is a little bit questionable. He does work hard. He can serve a ball. Okay. But his first touch is questionable. I just, I'm not seeing a high-level Premier League player there. And I just think some of those things are just limiting factors for him. And another team, if they have the ball a lot, I feel like they're just going to pick on him. He's not great in the air. But in his defense a little bit, Theo didn't do him any favors. No. No. And I continue. Look, I appreciate a lot of what Theo does in terms of using his speed, getting behind defenses. He gives you a slightly different element. But the way we were playing against this team today, we wanted to possess the ball, keep it, be dangerous. He's not a good possession player. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say. You know, his, his first touch isn't great. His passing is not good at all. Um, he gets rid of the ball too often. And it was very funny because I felt like in the beginning of the game, Alex, your shape, I think is spot on. Midfielders were sitting back. We were trying to recycle the ball over to the right side a lot. I, I almost felt like we came out wanting to play a little higher on the right. And then you saw in the second half, what really happened. You had kind of Bernard dropping deeper a little bit in the half space, but a little bit deeper. Um, creating room for Anthony to just fire up the line, still operating a little bit in the half space, almost directly in front of him. You know, it's kind of strange with Nkunku kind of providing the width and those those three, uh, Bernard in particular and his passing and those two and their runs and activity were just deadly. I mean, Salford had no, no answer for that whatsoever. So that took a little bit of the emphasis away from the right side attack. They didn't have to quite do as much, but it can't be ignored that that right side was just they didn't perform very well. They weren't threatening. Uh, they, they, it seemed like that Siggy kind of crept over there a little bit in the second half, and he was really the only trigger guy there. You know what I mean? I mean, it just didn't seem like there was a great that threat. Yes, maybe they were more defensively oriented, which is not dissimilar to how Seamus played. I mean, he played a little farther deep back than, than Dean did uh, over the weekend. But no, I, I just, for me, I don't think Coleman's good enough either. I, I, I want someone that's more active more physically dominant that can get up and down the pitch. I just don't know if it's going to happen. I mean, you know, he's a Liverpool guy, you know, you, you want him to do well. I just think he's got some limitations that I don't think he'll be able to overcome even at his young age. It's just my professional opinion, but I will say this credit to the American toffee podcast, because you heard it here first. We're the ones that talked for a great deal. A couple pods ago about our boy in Kunku. And I think we got it right, man. He is front forward fast moving forward forward passes incredibly athletic we haven't seen much in the defensive end but kudos to carlo for putting him in the right position to succeed because he was dynamite tonight very well said and at the end of the day that's what this match kind of came down to right guys it came down to seeing 10 changes into the starting lineup and saying this is the same system we're trying to play who can perform it doesn't matter who the opposition is you can only beat in who is in front of you who can perform and, and it's 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 I think very I think it's very accurate to say that maybe half took their chances and maybe half didn't or were just kind of meh 
So what do you guys think then about, I feel like Tom Davies got used a little bit differently. You know, it, it was almost like the more he gets used in the U21s, he had a ton of touches, right? Didn't he have a hundred touches? I think that's what we figured out. What did you guys think about, like, I, I think we agree that Carlo used Nkunku properly, like just pushing him way up and saying, just bomb ahead, no problem. How do you guys think Tom Davies was used and was, I mean, he was active. Was there a lot of purpose there? I, I, I don't know. I don't feel like there is, but I'm kind of curious what your takes are on it. Yeah, I thought Tom Davies today, uh, you could see that he was definitely getting forward a bit more and maybe had a bit more leeway to get into the attacking areas that we know he prefers to be in than perhaps he has definitely last season when he was playing, of course, in a two-man midfield. But he still just lacks that that kind of effectiveness. He did have some decent moments during the match. I don't think, again, there's going to be a lot of people who will say he played like crap, that he didn't do anything, but... I thought overall he had an okay game. I still think that, you know, if he had been playing a bit more forward, maybe he gets involved, but it's still the decision-making with him. I have some questions about it. Uh, I do think that a, you know, with 10 changes, you're getting a lot of players who are second string. So if you put Tom Davies in a midfield with like, I don't know, say Ducore and Allen, and he plays in front of them. Could he be effective? I don't know if that's ever something we'll see, but you talk about how important it is the new signings bringing out the best and bringing out better, better ability in, in some of the current crop. We didn't really see that opportunity for anyone today. We saw a lot of the, the same old faces. And so as far as Tom Davies is concerned, I still think that he's a useful player off the bench, maybe late in games. You know, he will run. He's not the quickest. He's not the most athletic, but he'll put himself around the field. And if we need someone to, to pester the opposition in the later stages of the game, um, I think we can do do worse. And I still think for him personally, his best option is going to be to be loaned out or maybe in fact sold. But from Everton's perspective, to have him as the fifth, fourth or fifth option as a midfielder, uh, not the end of the world in my eyes. James pretty much said it nicely and wrapped it with a bow pretty tightly in terms of loaning him out. Um, we, we've harked on it in terms of thinking that he's more an attacking minded player. So I think just at a high level, the role he was asked to play today is maybe a little closer to what he would be proficient at, as opposed to what we were seeing, let's say last season in a midfield two with Gilfie. But in terms of purpose, uh, I'm not sure. Although you could say the same about some of the other players, right? Like maybe Walcott or John Joe Kenny on the right hand side, who's he was linking up with quite often. Yeah, Tom was, that, that was kind of my take. He was kind of in the Andre role, you know, the holding role without Andre is very expansive as a, as a passer, which, you know, I'm critical of Andre sometimes, but I'll give him credit for that. I will say this though, credit to Bernard, the wee man, especially even when they pulled him back on the left side, it, a lot of people want him to play as a 10. I don't think he really played as a 10 today, but he did play a little bit more centrally, kind of like I said, in left half space. In the second half, he almost, not switched position with Siggy, but when we attacked down the left, he was kind of there to support that attack. I mean, he was drifting pretty deep and, and, and was dangerous, like really distributed the ball well. I think it's seven key passes, almost a 94% completion rate. I mean, he took care of the ball. He tackled some and intercepted. I mean, what a save on that beautiful shot he had. You know what I mean? That was an unbelievable shot. It really was. The keeper had a couple pretty good moments. He's probably a dark horse candidate for man of the match, to be perfectly honest. He was very influential. And, and I mean, just what a difference. That second half, it, it was very funny to see Anthony Gordon kind of play almost too passively 
in the first half. I actually, a couple of times I looked and shook my head. I'm like, what is he doing? You know, gave the ball away a couple of times, just didn't seem confident kind of running around. Then you saw the second half when he is just flying with the ball and just going directly at people fearless. Wow. I mean, what a player. He had eight shots today, hit two posts. I mean, his second half, he you could just tell he wanted it. I mean, what what a mentality for someone that made some mistakes early and just was like, heck with it, man. Get me the ball. I'm running at these guys. I mean, imagine how overwhelming that's got to be when you're chasing the game the whole time. We went up early, had 70% possession, and you've got Nkunku and Gordon, both guys that can absolutely pin the ear back. I mean, that's just not something that they're going to see too much, that level of athleticism uh, and, and, and kind of initiative going forward in the league that those guys play in. Yeah, you have to think that Carlo probably uh, whispered something in his ear at halftime because no he question. came out the second half and looked very, very hungry. And again, he, similar to Bernard, like they both, as the game were on, looked very, and actually Bernard had a better first half, but they looked aggressive and they looked to probe with the ball at their feet, which is something that the rest of the midfield, I think, looked in particular Tom Davies, who we just talked about, looked very timid to do. They don't want to take on players. They, they'd rather just... Uh, you know, hold the ball at their feet, look around, see if there's any options, see if, see if Gilfie's showing for the ball. He's not open. He's in like a half space between two defenders. And so they'll pass it back. Bernard and Anthony Gordon both were, were excellent as far as driving forward. forward. Yeah. With that mentality. And that's, again, that's what we found so refreshing about the match last Saturday was that we had players that actually wanted to do that. And I think Gordon and Bernard both made a case for themselves to perhaps, I don't know if they'll, they probably won't start. You'd have to think that, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but, but they both made cases to at least see some minutes perhaps on, on Saturday against West Brom. And, you know, speaking of intent, right, moving forward and, and, and the pace in which they were attacking with, isn't it a stark contrast from last season in which we would have possession at some points and we would move the ball forward, maybe, maybe to the, to the uh, tip of the 18 and just swing in a nonchalant cross meant for nobody, hoping that, Dominic Calvert-Lewin will fight off five defenders and and score a header. It, it, it felt so much different. They were driving into the box. They were looking for late runs into the box by Gilfie, Tom Davies at some points too on cutbacks. Gordon had quite a few of those as well. And so I really, really appreciated Gordon's performance and as you said, his desire. And I think that he's making a case to try to get himself involved in the 18 for the season. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there certainly were more opportunities to kind of attack with numbers in a possession-based way, but God, still in the first half, though. I mean, Alex, man, how many times on the right side did we see the ball go back to Siggy and he just turned backwards? And it was still too much rotation to me. God, I wanted to see him go forward. I, I just, I appreciated that in the first half. And yes, it's easier to do when the other team's worn down. I, I mean, that's that's part of the game, right? That's part of why possession can be so so effective. Bernard was still looking to go forward every time with it and still retained it, which was nice because that's a converse. You know, some of the other guys may look to go forward and they won't be able to keep it. So um, I guess that's a trade off there. Right. But yeah, it was good to see some of them take their chances, though. Bernard definitely did. No question. Gordon did. Who didn't take their chances? That's a real question. Let's talk about Moise Keane for a little bit. We haven't talked. I don't think we've even mentioned him yet. Much, you know, much was made before the game. Moise Keane. I think everyone figured he'd be nailed on to start, which he of course did. Big opportunity for him. I think he has a lot of a lot of doubters to prove wrong this season. Don't really think he did himself many favors today. No, I mean in the first half specifically, right? It was it, it was the most frustrating because 
we saw that uh, we know he's a strong guy, right? He's a strong forward and everyone talks about the physicality in the English game. But we just saw countless times early in the first half where he's passed the ball. Maybe not all of them are perfect, but he has a bad first touch. Or how many times did we see him just fall on the ground because he's just kind of battling with one of the center backs? It was beyond frustrating to see his start. Um, I, I think he grew into the match, that's for sure. But he was definitely one that, unfortunately, I don't think took his moment, his opportunity, as much as he could. Now, Turnbull was all over him, by the way. I think that would have been one where it may have been more beneficial to be at the match to see what was really going on there. You could tell Moise is definitely frustrated. The guy was all over him. He was holding him and grabbing him. But tough, man. That's how the game works sometimes, especially against these sides. What do you think they're going to do? Just let you sit there and do whatever the heck you want? No, man. And especially him, he's big and strong. Like that's an advantage to him. Do you think, don't get me wrong, Dominic Calvert-Lewin may have done some of the same thing two years ago, but what happens if that guy tries to pull that garbage on Dom? Dom puts him in about the second row. So Moyes needs to step up a little bit. Uh, now in his defense, yeah. um, the first header miss was frustrating, but it was a great movement and a great service from Gilfie to do it. Yeah. Kind of unlucky. Um, yeah, some of the first touches were problematic, but you could tell he's still kind of feeling his way. And again, these are all new guys. Uh, they didn't, uh, he didn't line up once at center, center forward in, in preseason. Granted, we didn't have an extensive one. Um, and we didn't have quite the supply maybe we, we would get. I mean, I, I think he had less than 40 touches, which center forwards aren't going to get too many. But that's really what it comes down to with that mentality. He's got to keep doing it, though. You know, the second header was a beautiful header. It just didn't go in. But the one thing I said on Twitter, and I, I'll say it again because I, I think it's important. I love the fact that when the penalty happened, Gordon, great job drawing the penalty, by the way. Moist wanted it. You, you could tell he wanted it, which yeah, I, I felt like in the last 10, 15 minutes, especially after the penalty, too, like he was in it. Like I felt like it was a little bit of a different player. He got a little bit energized. He 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 worked hard. I mean, you can't argue that. I, I just kudos to Gilfie because Gilfie, there's no doubt in my mind as a captain, has the ability to say, nah, nah, kiddo. No. Sorry, lad. You're not taking this one. You know what I mean? And and I think that had a positive effect on him. You could tell Moyes went up and hit that very confidently. I know it drives people crazy when people take PKs like that. Um didn't do himself any favor, but I'm glad he kept working through it. I mean, I know he's really talented. I wanted to see him do well, but, you know, things happen. It's, it's, I guess we'll have to wait for another, another game for, to see the Moise Keen breakthrough. Yeah. And another observation that I made, and actually I saw a couple other people tweeting about it, was he obviously, as Alex said, big and strong, really physical player, but it doesn't, he, you know, hold up play in the way that Dominic Calvert Lewin does it doesn't seem to be a strong suit he's he, yeah not from the air yeah not, not from, from the air, air. That's not he, he he can receive the ball at his feet but i think he's much better when he can get the ball mm -hmm. when he's making runs in behind when he's making runs into space and he gets fed the ball and he can then just kind of go when he receives back to and there's a large center back right on him he really seems to struggle to like create space for himself not for the lack of trying because i don't think effort is something you can accuse him of of lacking today especially there was that one moment in the first half where he tracked back magnificently and, and caught a guy who's probably 10 yards behind him and, and closed down the space and made the tackle but sometimes just you know things that that put you off as a fan his body language can be off at times you could tell you know he's visibly frustrated and if you're watching on tv 
you know, it's just something I think as a professional, you kind of have to shrug off and, and, and keep grinding. And I think he does, but he also gives off these, these vibes where you can tell that, that when things aren't going his way, it's very obvious from the way that he, he puts himself about. And again, showing for the ball, I think he gets frustrated a lot when his teammates miss him. There was one time when, when Theo Walcott in the first half decided to take a shot, probably could have laid it off to Moyes and, and he threw his hands up. You know, it, it's those sorts of things. And it's being a good teammate. It's, but, but I do think back to my original point, like sometimes we, I think kind of replace obviously Calvert Lewin with Keane in the lineup. And then we try to utilize them in the same way when in fact, they're really dramatically different players. I think you play a little bit of that way in backing big guys up in, in front of goal. I, I just think he was a little timid and hesitant to do it today. I, I, for whatever reason, could be chemistry thing, could be whatever, or frankly, maybe Turnbull was doing a good job on him, but, but he, he does have to play that way. Some, but yes, you're right. He's more effective, clearly backing a guy and then maybe coming back to the ball with a little bit of separation. And he has the ability to create that because he's strong, fast and quick. I, he definitely is more effective when he gets the ball, runs away a little bit and is able to turn and face someone. You could tell no one wants to deal with him like that. They will not pressure him, you know, and, and I don't blame him because all he gets is one little step on you. He's gone because he's strong and you're not going to knock him over. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's. He clearly wasn't man of the match. No. You know, I, I, no one wants him to do well more than me, us, maybe the bobblers. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I think, put it this way, him coming off the bench now at this point in the league against tired legs, okay. And I, and I still have to admit, I, I, I still kind of want to see him as when we play two strikers. But we haven't seen that yet. It'll be very interesting to see how we come out in the future and how he's used. So, gentlemen, we talked about who took their chance, who might not have taken their chance. So let's end things off in regards to our Salford City match review with our man of the match. Um, James, how about you go first? I think you got to go with Anthony Gordon for the way that he, and and there's a few other shouts and I'm sure you guys will have, have differing opinions, but he's very unlucky not to have two goals to his name as well as the really nice assist to Gilfie Sigurdsson. I thought you really, we know, Obviously, coming into the team towards the end of last season, everyone was very impressed with him. The question is, can he continue that run of form? Can he really fight his way into a regular position in this squad? And I think we saw today exactly what he's capable of, exactly what he brings to the team. And though he may not be a nailed-on first-team starter right now, the prospect of him coming off the bench late in games, just I would be very terrified. (laughs) Because he really has all the tools at his disposal. He has the pace. He has the dribbling ability. He has the the willingness to try to create shots for himself from outside the box. We saw it today. Two very ambitious curlers, one of which was almost a, a worldy, and the other one wasn't too far away. So for me, it's Anthony Gordon. I was very encouraged by his performance and, and look forward to seeing how he continues to develop, continues his progression throughout the rest of the season. Brian, how about yourself? Can we vote a most annoying player of the match? Because I think Ashley Hunter definitely got that one. Uh, apparently, what a shocker. He was with Joey Barton at Cleveland last <laughs> season. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give a shout to the Discord boys. I must say this. I think Penny Blue, uh, Ethan Zander, Scouse Blue, and uh, Stockhausen got, got it right. I mean, they, they kind of said it. So what Ethan said was first half man of the match, Bernard. That's not a thing, but you know we're going to go with it. Second half man of the match was Gordon. And I think overall full 90 man of the match, I'm going to give it to, to the new guy. Um, 
I think uh, Nkunku was was the guy. I mean, Carlo played to his strength. I get it. You know, he had a couple bad touches very near the end, but I mean, he was just like the irresistible force. You know what I mean? He was dynamic. Um, he showed his athleticism. He really expressed himself on the pitch. And Carlo talked a lot last year about lack of energy. So yes, while guys like Tom Davies today provided some energy, he provided the energy and the purpose, man. He was just, the whole left side looked dangerous almost every single time we got the ball. And I mean, even when the camera angle, you couldn't see who was on the left, you knew he was there. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with him. I think, I think he was, Gilfie deserves a little bit of credit. He was productive. You know what I mean? But no, I think uh, Nkunku was the man today. Fair enough. I had, I had both Gordon and Nkunku. So for the integrity of the show, I shall not go for a spicy take, <laughs> although it is possible. So, gentlemen, we man. let's move into our West Brom preview. So Everton take on West Brom on the weekend for the second match in the Premier League. As we know, Everton beat Tottenham 1-0 last weekend, whereas West Brom lost to Leicester City 3-0. Now, West Brom were just promoted back into the Premier League. I'm not sure if we're going to say welcome back yet or not. Maybe that's to be determined this weekend. But gentlemen, off of a win in the Premier League for the first match, as well as a win in the Cup four days later, how are we feeling moving into the weekend against West Brom? I feel pretty good. I feel I feel good knowing that, although, of course, Jared Branthwaite went off injured today, which hopefully it's nothing serious. I haven't seen any updates post-match that we were able to make 10 changes to the team and still come out with a win. Maybe not as convincing as it could have been. And furthermore, as a result of making those, those changes, we were able to keep the rest of the squad fit. Now I'm assuming that Carlo is going to pretty much just do a full 10 swap back in and stick with the same lineup that he went with against Spurs because it would be, it would be very harsh on any of those players to bench them. And with that, you know, we're going to see hopefully more of the same of what we saw last weekend, which is a really strong engine in midfield. And I think, frankly, obviously, West Brom, no disrespect, but having just been promoted are not quite up to the quality of Spurs. So I'm excited to see what we're able to do in a match where we're going to most likely dominate possession, hopefully create a lot of opportunities. And it'll be interesting to see how we're able to break down West Brom, who will presumably sit pretty deep and try to, uh, although, you know, Spurs did that too. That's kind of the Jose way. But uh, I, I think that we're set up really well to hopefully start with three wins on the trot to start the, the campaign. I sure hope so too. I think Matthias Perea was the guy I remember last year being fairly dangerous for them. He kind of plays off the right side. You know, cruising through the numbers, which, you know, we've come to expect here at the American Toffee Podcast. Um, they were third in goals last year in the championship, but their expected goals is actually only at fifth. I don't see them being a tremendously dynamic offensive team. They scored a bunch of goals off corners, which had Marco Silva been our manager, <laughs> a lot more concerned about. But assuming we come back with Keen and Mina together, you know, that, that, Maybe that's not the perfect combo if we want to do certain things, but boy, it really makes us tough on set pieces. You know, they're around third conceding goals too. Uh, but I think the one thing about them is, and I think we saw this a little bit with in their match uh, on the weekend, they're not a high tempo kind of pressure based team like like even Fulham and Leeds are coming up. I think they'll concede some possession, and uh, I'm confident with the midfield options that we have. That we'll do okay with that. You know, it'll be interesting to see what we do though on the left side to kind of combat, you know, Perea uh, moving forward. I mean, he had something like 16 assists last year in the league, like something crazy. And 
eight goals. So he's definitely their danger guy. But it's so nice to be able to say, hey, we have a couple defensive-oriented midfielders that can take care of that guy. Like, I'm sure he's not going to enjoy Allen hounding him all game or Decore. I mean, isn't that sound great to say, guys? It's just, just say it again. Like, Decore or Allen could hound that guy all game. I mean, it's just music to your ears, right? Um, no, I think we'll have purpose. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, we got to expect three points against these guys. Are we kidding? Come on. Yeah, and the interesting thing is they started in a 3-4-2-1 last weekend. And and apparently a lot of people deemed it as an interesting and surprising setup. Now, as they were getting kind of whomped against Leicester City, they ended up changing to a 4-2-3-1. Now, I assume we expect to set up in the, in the same way. And James, I agree, we're probably going to see a whole an entire 10-change reversion back to the starting 11 that we saw last weekend. Now, it's going to be interesting to see how West Brom set up, though, because if they set up in a 3-4-2-1, you presume that a lot of our action is going to be possibly out wide. Against Leicester City, they were defending deep, as you said, James, and they were also defending very compact, specifically at the top of the box with their central midfielders, um, such as Livermore and, and Sawyers, which, Ryan, to your point, I think Ducore is going to be able to power through based on pure athleticism alone. We saw him um, early in the second half on the weekend where he made an interception pretty high up the pitch, drove forward, and he had quite a few uh, good pro- progressive passes. I think four key passes specifically against Spurs. And so I think although we'll see a lot of action on the outs- on the on the wings, for example, Ducore charging forward is going to be something very exciting to see. Yeah, there's no question, man. It's just nice to have that kind of athleticism in the middle now. Um, you know, most of last year they played four, two, three, one. So yeah, I guess that was a little bit of a trick, but eventually it seemed like they settled into it. Uh, I, I just think the key is dominating the midfield. I mean, it's like that every week. You know what I mean? If we dominate the midfield, we'll be able to create those matchup issues on the outside. And, uh, yeah, man, I mean, God, we just need to dominate the ball against these guys, put pressure, knock a couple in and get the heck out of there with three. Yeah, and I think what we'll see more of and what was so effective against Spurs is just the interchanging shape of our midfield, having giving our, our midfielders, Allen, Decore, James, the freedom to change shape, to move positions around, to really keep them on the back foot and on their toes as to not knowing what to expect. And also the difference in in this this struck out stuck out to me a lot against Spurs was the variety of passes that we would attempt. So we'll do a lot of short back and forth, you know, keep them from being able to really pressure the ball effectively. But then we're also not afraid to go with a long switch. We saw so many times the hopefully going to be a recurring theme this season, the Hamas switch to Richarlison on the flank. And we'll kind of lull them to sleep, maybe some little tiki-taka type moves in the central midfield, look for some space out on one flank, switch it to the other, and just like that, we're in on goal. And I think that's really disruptive and, and an effective strategy. And now we finally have the personnel to execute on those types of long passes. Whereas again, today we saw a lot of hesitancy with trying to be aggressive and maybe, I mean, there were a couple of times Gilfie tried some long balls that did not come off in any way. It seemed like our passing accuracy with the new midfield is going to be vastly improved. And with that comes the execution and ability to, to find space for players that are dangerous. And now we know we have so many of them. I'm very interested to hear what you guys think in terms of our lineup. Do we come out with the same group? Because like I said before, I think earlier in the week, in a game where we're confident we're going to have the ball a lot against a side that is not as dangerous in the counter as, as Tottenham. I mean, Tottenham's counterattack is dangerous, very dangerous. Um, does Andre play? Does James go go back to the 10? And did anyone today give a display that would indicate that, hey, man, 
fit me in there on the, on the right side or wherever, you know, cause we still, I still don't know who we're going to see on that right wing because it wasn't Theo. It was James kind of cutting back inside, but I think that's because we kind of played behind the ball a little bit against Spurs because we really wanted to focus on possession. I assume we're going to be a little more front foot. I just think it'd be very interesting to see what we do because, I mean, I I like Andre as a possession-based player. He's good under pressure. He can hold the ball. His his passing range is good, but he's not the most creative. And I, I just don't know if we need three midfielders playing as deep as kind of at least they initially were with Alan DeCore and, and Andre. I, I don't know what you guys think. Personally, I don't see a better option on the right-hand side than James. As you said, it, it shouldn't be Walcott. I, I hope to God it's not Walcott. And I mean, I mean, we saw Iwobi over there sometimes in, in matches previous. And, and I, I presume he is hurt currently. That's, that's a big Twitter fuss. And Ryan, I, I won't get you on a, on, a, on a tirade at the moment. I I think he is injured, so that's on that's on record. Greg, that's that's what Greg O'Keefe said. Greg O'Keefe said he thought he had heard that he was hurt. So I, I, I you have to admit that's a lunch. We a, trust, we trust Greg, but I, it's like a more logical explanation, right? I mean, do we really see any other totally? It, it would. Yeah. There's nothing. I, I can't imagine there's anything like crazy or fishy one. Would he really be frozen out? <laughs> it doesn't seem yeah. like. See, so you, you wonder. I, I personally think Hamish should stay on the right hand side. He had a very influential performance, as James said. I'm trying to keep those those two uh, separate in the same line of thought, right? But as James said, right, he had a ton of beautiful switches to Richarlison on the op- opposite side, which again I thought that he really allowed Richarlison to perform the way that he did, who's usually the the uh, the one and only kind of targeted by the opponent, right? You used to, if, if the ball was not moving, moving through Richarlison, if Richarlison was not having a good day, a lot of times Everton weren't either. Um, in terms of the Gomez spot, I'm really not sure. I, I would say, I would say that just simply based on the fact that he had the other central midfielders play a whole 90 today, that it probably would be Gomez, but I'm not sure. James, what about you? Yeah, I actually, so I'm thinking about it now and it, it could be quite interesting because will we see Carlo try to develop some consistency with the formation, with the with the personnel, or will we see him perhaps try something different? So could we perhaps go to a 4-4-2 where you have James out on the right, you put like Ducore and Allen in the center, and then maybe you put Anthony Gordon out on the left and then play Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin as a striker duo. I think that could be potentially very interesting. So I think what's so encouraging is that we have the personnel now to at least give us a little bit of wiggle room tactically and flexibility as to how we can attack teams. And even if if something's not working, we can change at halftime, even midway through the first half, later stages of matches. But I think that could be kind of interesting if we did see a more aggressive, whereas, you know, we obviously had the three true central midfielders last time to maybe go two. I think Allen and Ducore, frankly, with their legs and the fact that we'll we'll probably have quite a bit of possession, um, could hold down that central midfield. And then you get Gordon and James pushing forward on the flanks with the combination of Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin in the air, the ball at their feet. Could be an interesting proposition. Ryan, what do you think of that? Yeah, I, I, it is nice to have options, isn't it? I, I still come back to, though, I mean, really the key the, the key to the game, in my opinion, is is always the dominance of the midfield and keeping the ball the way we were. I, I just, I, I think there are a couple different options to get more front foot, but I do have a feeling that he will see Andre again. I just, I would like him to play a little bit higher with a little bit more initiative. I mean, I remember the player he was at Valencia and granted, he's never been wildly creative, 
but he was more dangerous for sure. So maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that's what Carlo has in mind. It doesn't mean he can't play. Maybe he just simply deploys him differently because we won't need his support as deeply in terms of, you know, playing back behind the line and possessing the ball. Uh, who knows? I, I would be, you know, Alex, I think I agree with you. I, I think we'll see James outright. And I, I, I wouldn't make too many changes if I were him, at least until he feels like someone's going to emerge that would put James back in the middle. But then again, it does seem to indicate that he does want to eventually get him there. And I know in the past when he's played 4-3-3, James has been his number 10 in the middle. Maybe a little more deep, um, but we've seen he can be effective from deep too. I just don't know who that right side guy is going to be. Maybe we'll go get one eventually. I, I, I think we'd have to move some people on first. Obviously, I love my boy Alex Awobi. And I do have to admit, it would be nice to have kind of a playmaker out there when you've got guys like Richarlison on the left, who is a scorer. He very much is a scorer. Dom kind of running people off, you know, getting James more in the middle of the pitch. He can score goals too. It would be an interesting dynamic. But that being said, I can also see the addition of a truly more genuinely wide player to kind of open up that half space for Seamus. Because Seamus isn't really one that wants to go around the outside of people and really fire crosses in. It'll just be in general to see what we do still for the rest of the window on the right side. But I, I just don't see a lot of movement um, until we move move some people on. I know everyone keeps saying, Ryan, why do you keep harping on financial fair play and PL regs? Well, because they're still legit for this year. I, I, everyone thinks that it's gone away. No, it went away for last year. Fiscal year ended, man. It was for 19 and 20. It's in the PL handbook. Everyone can read it. I, I'm not the only one that's semi-literate here. Uh, so, um, I, I think we can hope that there's going to be some relief and certainly there's going to be a revenue dump, but you got to be careful here. We still have a lot of wages on the book. I think by my count, we got 17 million in annual pounds of wages with guys in their last year, or their contract. And I'm going to tell you right now, Theo Walcott, I know he's a true wide player, but would anyone play him over Gordon on the right? I mean... I wouldn't. I, I thought Bernard looked pretty. Eh, I thought Bernard looked pretty good today too. I mean, I could see him kind of drifting inside a little bit. I know he's not really known as a ten. I mean, I keep bringing that up to people like he hasn't played much time as a ten. Yeah, but he does kind of drift into half spaces and, and is comfortable in a little bit of the middle middle of the pitch. I, I just think those guys are more viable options than Theo playing. So if Theo's shown the door in his salary, if they can get Velasi out, Besic. A couple others, then they got to make some decisions because although the wee man did well today, he's on 120k a week, you know. And Gilfie, Gilfie looked good today. I love the character letting Keentain the PK, but you're starting to look at some guys that fill in the bench really well. But if you got a sale or two, I don't know. I think it'd be very interesting to see what happens. What if they sell Kenny too and go with a new right back, a different back, like bringing in Santiago Arias, who. I have some concerns about. He is defensively responsible. I don't know if his quickness is really quick when it comes to the PL like he used to look in some other places. But I don't know. It's just it's, for me, I'm still kind of interested in that right side. But I, I wouldn't expect any changes, honestly. I think I think Alex, you're right. We'll see Hamez on the right. On that note, folks, that's going to do it for our match preview slash match review. We will, of course, be with you guys following the match on Saturday. Look out for that. Otherwise, please, if you haven't, uh, leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Follow us on all of the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. Otherwise, until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg slash ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.